Well, hi and welcome to Zion at Home. I'm Phil and I'm glad that I'm with you today. Wherever you are, I hope that you're safe, I hope that you're sane, I hope you're keeping well, and I hope you've got your eyes fixed on the right things. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he is the one who will lead you through all circumstances. Whether you're in some kind of pandemic lockdown or whether you're challenged by something else, the Lord is with you. And I pray today that this message encourages you as it finds you wherever you are. As we begin today, I want to start with a story. It's a story that I remember uh, from a time when I was a teenager. My family went on a holiday. We went down to the South Island to Picton to visit my grandfather. And I was the eldest in the family of three children. I was about 16 years old and I had a chip on my shoulder. You know, I, I remember a photo, a family photo of that time away and there's me off to one side. I've got this sloppy shirt on with my sleeves rolled up to my shoulders. I've got mirror sunglasses on, my long hair at the back, and I didn't have a smile on my face. And that photo, whenever I look at it, says, dude, you did not want to be there. But what I want to say to you is this, family is family. Connection is connection. And it's God that orchestrates connection. You see, in that family photo, there's Phil off to one side looking all surly. But hey, that was just a season in my life. It didn't change the fact that I was still part of my family. So I want to say this to you today as we begin this message, as we continue through looking at the connection that God's building into us as a church body. I want to say this, family is family, no matter what season you're in, no matter what space you're in, no matter where you are on your journey, it does not change. Family is family. Well, we're in the uh, middle of the series called Connection. Our series Connection is based on Ephesians 4 and verse 16. Ephesians 4 and 16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Today, I want to lead you through a message where we focus on the part that says, as each part does its work. Now, this is message number four in the series. Uh, you can find the other messages on our app, the Zion People app, or you can find them on our YouTube channel. They're right there for you, easy to find. And so here we find ourselves in the message looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. I want to read it to you from the New King James Version. In Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Today I want to speak to you from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 and my key focus is this part of the verse here. That we would look at the aspect that Paul writes to us that says we are, we are to be joined together according to the effective working by which each part, every part, does its share. 
Now, at the beginning of a message like this, you could be thinking that the pastor is going to bring out a clipboard and he's going to say, today, church, we're going to have an expo of where you can serve in the church and what you're going to be doing next Sunday. And that's not what I'm going to do today. So uh, relax, sit back, and I pray that God touches you today with his word. I'm going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to look and see what we can extract from the word of God. And I pray by the Holy Spirit that God comes and meets with you and speaks with you where you're at. And, and I pray that the Lord opens your eyes to see what he wants to reveal for you today. So let's jump in and have a look at what Ephesians chapter 4 is showing us as Paul writes this letter to us as his church. And so the title of today's message, you know how I love giving messages titles. It helps you to have a hook to hang things onto. It helps you to take notes and keep things in the order and the, and the big picture of the series that we're in. This is message number four of a five-part series. The title of this message is Unified Usefulness. Unified Usefulness. And I want to explain what that means, but before I do, I need to give you some context. I want us to look at this letter that Paul's written in, in Ephesians that, that's a letter to the church in Ephesus, but it's to the region and it's, it's outside of the, the time of his day because it's even a letter to us. So what is Paul writing to us? Let's have a look at that. Unified usefulness. What does Paul mean? when he wants us to be unified in our usefulness. So let's look at the big picture. Let's look at just Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. As I've been reading this passage uh, this week, as I've been going backwards and forwards through it over the last month, I just suddenly stepped back and I looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And uh, one of the versions that I read is the New English Translation. It's got lots of notes in it, and I really enjoy uh, some of the insights that the, the meanings of the words mean and the notations around the language choice that the translators chose. And as I stepped back and looked at the big picture over Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, what I noticed is there were five key headings in the text that helped to break up the themes that Paul was writing. And here they are. You can see them on the screen. Paul is saying we must live in unity. Paul is also saying that we must live in holiness. Paul is saying to us that we, the church, the believers, the body of Jesus Christ must live in love. We must also live in the light and we must also live wisely. So that's the big picture of Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. Now let's just zone in a little bit and look at the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. What is it that Paul wants to show us here? I want to give you some context so that you understand why we're looking at the connection, why it's important to us as a church, but most importantly today, I want you to see why it's important to you. What do you need to take from this as God speaks to you from the scriptures? So let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 4. In the first six verses, we see that Paul writes to us that we must preserve our unity together. Make every effort to preserve our unity, to protect our unity, to strengthen our unity. Paul is bold as he calls the church together and says, come on. Live together and live in unity, that coming together that is locking you together. 
In Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 7 through to about verse 13, we see that Paul writes specifically about the gifts that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us, that Jesus has given gifts to many. Uh, some would say he's given gifts to all. But the point is, the grace of Jesus Christ is what bestows those gifts upon us as the church. And Paul is very clear about that. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 14 through to verse 16, we see that Paul writes about maturity. And we see here that maturity flows from being true to who we are, who we're called to be by Jesus. So what does Jesus say about us? And this is truly what matters most. And if we stay aligned with that, that is really what Paul calls maturity of the believers. So we have this context of Ephesians chapter 4, and if we zone down even more, there's just this little snippet that I want to focus on before I get to our key verse. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 and verse 13. I found six points, and I'm going to rattle through them. If you're taking notes, you might want to write them down or come back and pause the video and write them down as we go. But I don't want to spend time on them, but I want to point it out because it's part of the context to us being unified in our usefulness. Paul says in verse 12 that we are in Christ. First and foremost, it's Jesus Christ that does all these things that makes our life together possible. We are unified because we are in Christ. This is a key message, and I spoke about this at the beginning of the series, and I really encourage you to make sure you have that revelation that you are in Christ. I'm in Christ, which means together we are unified in Christ. The second point is, if you look at verse 12 there, that it speaks about the equipping of the saints. The equipping of the saints. That means that the believers, those that call Jesus Christ Lord, those that are seeking to be his disciples, to model their life after him, they require training. They require, require equipping, mobilization and training. So think about uh, sports practice. Think about learning a new skill. Think about learning new knowledge. Equipping. Why do we need to be equipped? Well, because Paul says, for the work of the ministry. What does this mean? Every single one of us has a function. We have a function, which means every one of us has a, a cause, a mission, a function, a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a job description that Jesus Christ has prepared for us. And Jesus Christ has given us the gifts we need to prepare us for the work of ministry. Paul carries on in verse 12 and says that we must be equipped for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body. What this means is that we must be promoting the growth of each other to become stronger. So that my job and your job is to work with each other to help each other become stronger for what Jesus wants us to do. You know, iron sharpens iron. One helps another. Two can lift more. If one can put a thousand to flight, then two can put 10,000 to flight. Why? Because we're designed to function and we're designed to function together, and together we make each other stronger. This is what Paul is writing in the passage. The fourth point is that the unity of faith is the destination. Jesus isn't worried about outcomes. He's not writing a report card saying, hey, good job, you improved, you got a B plus this week. No, he's not worried about that outcome. The only single outcome that Paul writes about here in this passage is that we would come to the unity of our faith. 
They're locking together. They're forging ourselves together that together we're stronger. Together we, we build each other up because we have a mission and that mission is to become mature. How do we become mature in this last point here? The knowledge of God. Look at this in verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith, which is the key point, the destination. But it says this, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, who Jesus is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means our maturity is measured by how we know God. And if we know God, then we would live like Jesus. So very simply, the whole point of this connection that we're speaking about in this series is that we would spur each other on and help each other get stronger, that we would come to the unity of our faith locked together. Because ultimately, together, our unity is a demonstration of who Jesus is to the world. Our lives are a message. Our unity is a message. And it's a key point. Because that, my friends, leads us into unified usefulness. That we're together for a purpose. Each one finding its purpose. Each one being together for the benefit of the other. In order that Jesus would be glorified in who we are becoming. And so we find ourselves at this place where Paul is saying, I want you to be unified in your usefulness. I want you to come together and understand that we are in unity because we're all in Christ. You're in Christ. I'm in Christ. He's in Christ. She's in Christ. Together in Christ, we become unified and useful because we're designed to function. We've each been designed to function and we've been designed to function together. So my prayer as you listen to this message, that you would hear the words of Scripture, the words of Jesus himself to say, come, come together, be unified. Come together, be useful with each other. There's a flip side of this. And I can't move on without pointing out the flip side. Paul is very clear at the end of Ephesians chapter 4 that the goal is maturity, that we would live wisely together. But he also speaks about immaturity. He also warns against immaturity. And Paul says lack of unity and lack of usefulness is what reveals your immaturity. If you look in verse 22, he says, you must lay aside those things of old. You must push away the way that others live, for that will bring you to a place of immaturity. Paul says in verse 23, you must be renewed in the mind of your thinking, in the spirit of your mind. You must be renewed. Because if you don't get renewed by the spirit of your mind, meaning the spirit bringing the renewal, you will fall away. You will be immature and you will go back to the ways that you used to. So we have a call to be unified in our usefulness. And we have a warning that if we don't lay aside the things of the past, if we don't allow the Spirit to renew our mind, we will fall into immaturity and we will not represent Jesus well. So this must be our, our motivation to come into a place of being unified in our usefulness. I want to make one thing clear, and I hope I remember to repeat this later, but I want you to remember that you are not judged your worth or your value is not diminished by your actions. You do not earn love. You do not earn acceptance. You do not earn righteousness. It's given as a gift. 
And so your actions, what you do, does not change how we see you, how we value you, or how we love you. But your actions, they do represent your contribution. Contribution is measured by your actions. But your worth or your value is not measured by your actions. Let's make sure we hold on to that distinction. None of us are measured or loved by God by what we do. We are all measured and loved by what Jesus has already done for us as we embrace that truth for ourselves. So let's think about what it would look like if part of us were missing. I, I had a, a thought during the week and I did uh, some research, as you do, uh, asking Dr. Google uh, for what is true. Uh, everybody knows that's the wise way to go. But I found research that said if you lose parts of your body, your body functions very differently and sometimes it can't function at all. Take the example where you might lose one or several of your toes at the end of your foot. You'll know where your toes are. Look down, you can see them, we'll give them a wiggle. Yep, they're still there. But doctors say that when toes are amputated, that people have to relearn how to walk. They have to relearn how to balance. Because apparently, your toes, small as they are, are actually an important part of how you stand, how you walk, and how you balance. Who knew? But what about, um, have you lost your tongue? You certainly wouldn't be able to speak. You'd have to learn to communicate differently. The body depends on the tongue and the vocal cords in order to communicate vocally with others. I remember once, uh, many years ago, uh, that I, I woke up one morning and got out of bed and I just almost, I fell over and I felt horrible and I couldn't see straight and my head was, was whirring and I, I literally um, threw up and I went back to bed and I couldn't, I couldn't handle bright light. I had to get Kathy to shut the curtains and, and plans for the day were shot. Plans for the next day were shot and what I discovered as I went to the GP uh, carefully <laughs> um, is that I had an inner ear infection and it was horrible and and what it did is it threw out my entire balance it, it totally took away my uh, or heightened my sensitivity to light and mobility I just I just had to lie in bed for three or four days until it cleared when the body doesn't function right as it's designed to it affects the way we live now, for those of you that had migraines, you know, it lays you out for days. What's my point? The body needs all of its parts to function in line with the design of God in order to function at its very optimum, at its best. That's the point. Each one of us are called to contribute. Each one of us are called to be a part of what God's got for us. Several weeks ago, as I was preparing my mind for the series, I asked the team to dig into the data and to provide me just some simple statistics about what life looks like in Zion at the moment. And so what I'm about to show you are three graphs. These graphs uh, were presented to me just with bare numbers. There were no names attached to them, uh, just the facts. That's all I wanted. And I'm going to present those to you now. So three graphs. The first one you can see on the screen here is Sunday attendance. If you're listening to this on the audio podcast, I'll make sure you understand what the graph says. Sunday attendance. And we've got a pie chart that shows you 
the percentage of people that come to church on a Sunday. Now, before I show you these numbers, what I want to acknowledge is case in point today in August, no, September uh, 2021, which is when I'm recording this, we're not even in church on Sundays. The reason for that is that life has changed. And many people uh, aren't able to make it to church on Sunday because of work or family commitments or priorities are shifting. And so they dial in online, just like you're doing on the day of the beginning of September. When this is broadcast, you're at home. So I get that being in the building is not critical for being part of church, but it does say something about priorities and motivation for being together. Where are they sitting? Church attendance has plummeted over the years, and we see this, that in our records for a period of time we assessed over the month what percentage of our church family were attending. And the answer is 47% of church are in the building attending church on a Sunday. 53% of people who call Zion their home, their church, they are not in the building on a Sunday. Sometimes they're watching online. Sometimes they're out of town. Sometimes they're working. My point is not who's here and who's not. We don't take the role. My point is this. If you're not here, how are you connected? That's the key point. Remember, each part must contribute. The second graph I want to show you is about serving on a Sunday. Now, the data that the team presented to me is literally limited to what happens on a Sunday in the building. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are people who serve the church family in the wider context outside of a Sunday morning gathering. I know that. I understand that. But what I want to show you, these stats are arresting. And the data that we collected from the people who were serving the church on a Sunday that facilitated what's happening, 30% of the adults in our community are volunteering to serve in some capacity on a weekend. 70% of adults who call Zion their home are not serving in any capacity on a Sunday. That shocked me. We have got a lot of people that are doing the same thing every week. We've got a lot of people that do more than one job on a Sunday. There are several people that are left hand and right hand to help what's going on. There are others that come at 10 or 10.15 and then leave as the service finishes. What's my point? Contribution. I sat back and I reflected on this and I started to think of people that I know that do fantastic work during the week in the community. So I think it's probably more fair to say an accurate perception would be under half the adults in our church are currently serving, which means over half, just over half, are not. The third and final graph that you'll see on the screen here is regarding financial giving. The records that the team provided, the data that they gave me, show what percentage of adults are contributing to Zion financially on a regular basis. What you can see there is 47% of adults are registered as giving on a regular basis over the period that we tested. They were giving financially to the church. 53% of adults in the church registered Zion as family are not giving. What's my point in sharing this data with you? 
If we're going to be unified in our usefulness, I want to take our leading from the scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, the, the part that we're focused on today says this, according, we would be unified to function, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What does that mean? Each one of us is called to contribute. Each one of us is called to be part of Zion, part of the function of what we're doing, to be part of who we say we are. I've only given you three measures today. There are many, many more. But what am I saying? I'm saying, come on, let's understand that for us to be effective, we've got to be unified in our usefulness, and that means coming together, each one, everyone, everyone doing their part according to the grace that Jesus Christ has given. So let's look at that even further, shall we? The best passage of Scripture to support this thought is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, again, same guy, writing to church leaders and members of churches across Corinth and beyond. He said, come on, guys, you've got to function together. And let's look at this. Let's read this. I'm going to read the entire passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to 27. Let's read together. For just as the body is one and yet has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, or slave or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. If the foot says, since I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. And if the ear says, since I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, what part would do the hearing? If the whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. On contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential, and those members we consider less honourable, we clothe with greater honour. And our unpresentable members are clothed with dignity, but our presentable members do not need this. Instead, God has blended together the body, giving greater honour to the lesser member, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honoured, all rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body. And each of you is a member of it. Remember my story at the beginning of the message where I spoke about the family holiday we went on. I want to remind us that family is family. Family is not diminished because we don't feel ready. Family is not limited by our gifts because each one of us are diverse in what we bring to family. Family is not limited by our maturity, or in my case, in my story, the lack of my maturity. 
didn't diminish the fact that I was part of my family. And Paul is saying that here in this passage of Scripture. One writer says it this way. He says, in fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. Family is family. The body functions when we all come together and acknowledge each other. I want to have a look at uh, another couple of verses from verse 18 through to verse 20. Look at this. God carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many differing parts and functions, but one body. What am I trying to say? Each of us, all of us, every part of us contribute to the bigger picture. Without you, the body is missing something. Without you being connected, unified in usefulness, the body is missing out. The body had no ears, there would be no hearing. Without you, perhaps we can't hear properly. Who knows? Let me look at a different way that uh, this is written. It's a paraphrase. And I want to look at verses 25 to 27. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 to 27. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. And if one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Look, I pray that God really cements and locks this in for us as a church family. And so I want to ask you, where are you? Where are you in Zion? Where do you fit? Where do you function? Where is your usefulness? Looking at those graphs, where do you sit? Are you on the left-hand side or are you on the right-hand side? Only you can tell that. What's my point? I'm asking, where are you? How can you function in usefulness? How can you contribute and bring your function that Jesus Christ has prepared you for into the contribution of what we do together as a family. I also want to acknowledge this is far bigger than a clipboard. Far bigger than a list of jobs to do on a Sunday morning. Yes, it would be helpful to have some help on Sunday. I come in early to pray on a normal Sunday, but often I'm running around turning things on, making sure things are working for others. I'm picking up rubbish and I'm tidying up stuff and making sure the milk's in the fridge just detracts from my ability to pray and get myself centred for ministering in the way God wants me to on a Sunday morning. But there are other ways to contribute, much bigger ways to contribute. During the week, there are many people that would love a visit. There are many people in our community that are lonely. They would just love someone to come and have a cup of tea and say, hey, I see you. How are you? I care about you. There are other functions, you know, the lawns need mowing and the, and the kids' playground. There's weeds. Who wants to come down and spray the weeds during the week? Put your sprayer on the back, pump it up and just walk around and kill the weeds. That'd be awesome. 
There's other things that can be done to contribute to the life of church. It's not about standing in front of others or leading a ministry. There are many, many functions that can be done. What about Zion at home? This is a part of our life now, broadcasting messages, broadcasting devotions during the week, preparing content, because we can't be together as often as we'd like to. I watched uh, a podcast recently of a guy who spoke about their ministries of church across the world. In 90 different services they were broadcasting every week. Oh, that's a lot, so I'm not trying to do that. But he said, to make that function, I have a team of 1,000 volunteers across the world that are behind the scenes praying, being available. If someone clicks a button and says, please pray for me, instantly there's someone there willing to pray, willing to help, willing to support, willing to reach out. If someone says, hey, I just gave my heart to Jesus, then someone is, is available to disciple them. You know, we've got the technology to do that. We just need the people to do that. So there's many, many ways that you can contribute to the life of a church. There are connect groups that meet together during the week. You know, we need more connect groups. There are only 50% of our people are in connect groups. Who would like to lead one? Gather a couple of people and start a Bible study. Get a book, do a book study. Get a DVD or a download from YouTube and just do life together and pray for one another. Share um, communion together and honour Jesus in your midst. Prayer for healing, community outreach. There's all sorts of options. And I'm saying, where are you? Where are you? As I land this, I just want to say, God says this. I do believe this. Uh, as I've been praying this week, thinking, Lord, where do you want to land this? I feel like the Lord said, hey, say to the people, they're no longer hidden. The Lord is calling them out. The Lord is calling them out of the shadows. He's calling out of, of the back paddock. Remember young David? David, the seventh child of Jesse. He was hidden. He was in the back paddock when Samuel the prophet came and said, the Lord said, I must come and anoint the future king of Israel. And they lined them up from the firstborn to the, to the sixth. And Samuel says, this is not. None of these are the ones that the Lord has chosen. Is there anyone else? And they says, oh, there's David, but he's out the back. He's in the pasture. He's looking after the sheep. The Lord called him out of the shadows, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and prepared him to become the king of Israel. The Lord says, no more hiding. The Lord says, I'm calling you out because I've given you a gift and a grace and a function to contribute, to be unified in your usefulness. What about Gideon? Gideon was hiding, threshing, hiding from the enemy. And an angel of the Lord, a messenger, turned up and said, Gideon, mighty warrior, rise up, for the Lord has anointed you. He's like, what? I think you got the wrong guy. No, 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 no. The Lord had chosen Gideon to be the redeemer for that season, to, to release them from the bondage of the enemy that was the Midianites that were just opposing them. Maybe God's prepared you in ways that you haven't thought of. And he's saying to you today, call out. I'm calling you out. Come out. Come out of hiding. What about Elisha? Dude was just plowing the field, serving his dad, like not a bad thing to be doing. And Elijah turned up the prophet and threw his mantle over his shoulders and said, come. Elijah questioned it, said, look, first let me go. And Elijah said, if you don't want to walk in the calling of God, then I shall go. And, and it, was a, it was a conflict in Elisha, but he knew he had to respond to God's prompting and God's calling. Maybe that's you. 
Maybe God's calling you out of one place into another. What about Nathaniel, the disciple? Dude's just hanging out. What about Peter, the fisherman? He's in the boat and Jesus says, stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. Come and be my disciple. Radical shift. And that was a career change. It was a life change. And for some of you, maybe that's what God's saying today. I don't know. Let me finish with Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to declare this over you because the Lord is saying something to you. Beginning of Jeremiah, we read this in Jeremiah chapter 1 from verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am young. And the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put words in your mouth. See, I have set this day, you, I have, this day I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. The Lord is calling you out. It's no time for hiding. This is a season where we're being reset, literally. Our lives have been turned upside down, but I wonder if some of you don't understand what God means by a reset. It's not about shifting, working from home and watching a bit more Netflix or perhaps changing your diet because you're not going to work. It's not about that. God's resetting your life, that you can be unified in Zion, useful, contributing, partnering, as we come together, may the effective working of the church as each one of us does its part, because we, we are the message to our community. Let me pray. Almighty God, I thank you for this opportunity to be challenged by your word, and I pray that as your word goes forth, it will land on fertile soil, that hearts would be massaged by you in order to receive this, that they'd be ready to receive it, they'd say, yes, Lord, your servant is ready and listening. Speak, Lord. Father, I pray a blessing over these ones today that, are, that wherever this finds them, may they know the love of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, may they know that he is their friend, he's their saviour, and he wants to be their Lord. May they say yes to Jesus. And in saying yes to Jesus, may they lay down ambition and pride and priorities and preference and comfort and say, yes, Lord, I will go. Just show the way. How would you like your servant to respond? Lord, I pray that each one of us would respond like that, that you would be glorified through our lives. And I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless you.